Welcome everyone to the Lighter Mind Podcast. In the Lighter Mind, we explore spirituality, personal growth, trauma, recovery, and the path to wholeness. The Lighter Mind Podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any forms of mental illness. We are not licensed therapists unless otherwise noted, and these are experiential conversations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Lighter Minds. I've got Crow and Alan sitting with me, and today we are proceeding with another story from our man Alan over here. And Alan has got some resistance and some hesitance around this, and uh, I wanted to talk about that before we dive into the story. What's going on there, bud? Oh, you know, uh, I guess there's... uh a, I don't think my story has value, um, which is probably a story in a story of my life that I don't think, I think mentally a lot of times I think what I contribute is not very valuable. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of weird to open up and, and to, to people, not to you guys, I don't care about that, but the whole world, you know, yeah, that, of course, potentially could listen to this and be like, that guy's a loser, or whatever, <laughs> you know. So no, that's, um, that's understandable. So you know, I think it, I mean this goes back to some form of of my childhood trauma, youth trauma, maybe adult trauma. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's been plenty of it along the way. Yeah. So what what, what do you guys think? I think we I think we should sit here and unpack it on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, we should. I think so too. And we'll just sit here in silence and stare at you uncomfortable. Yeah, let's just make yeah, it really yeah, uncomfortable. Shake your head like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Just 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 so you know, we are judging you this whole time. We are. <laughs> we got, like, what everyone yeah. that, that pad is yeah, uh, for yeah. is just is just great. No, I yeah. I think it's the the reason I wanted to open up with that is uh because we're we're gonna kind of unpack it as you tell your story and right. then at the end we can kind of walk back around to it but yeah i understand why there's a level of hev- a hesitance to it right right yeah well i think there's uh anxiety um which is funny because i always thought well, i don't really i'm reading this peter bregan book guilt shame and anxiety and uh you know i'm like well maybe some guilt maybe some shame but really no anxiety and then since we decided, since it's been a few weeks since we were going to do this, and it's every week it had been pushed back, I'm just like, why is my back so tight? Oh, what, is it? what is this? You know, all these things like, oh God. And then I start thinking about it, and usually I'll clench my teeth like as I sleep before mm-hmm. when I start to get ramped up with anxiety. I'm like, well, I'm not clenching my teeth or grinding my teeth, so I'm fine. But then I was like, Fuck my back! What? My back's in knots. <laughs> my what back, the fuck? my neck, and my back. Oh god! You know, so um, so no, this will be good. It'll be good to to do. I, I think uh, it'll be kind of cathartic. Uh, you know, I mean, I've always been very secretive, kind of like hold my cards to my vest kind of guy my whole life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I always was concerned that if I showed that vulnerability or any level of. Um, not being confident that I would get henpecked by, you know, the, by the, whoever. So, yeah. um, I, and, and, the, and this goes to my childhood. Like 
I was bullied a fucking lot as a kid. Yeah. Like, a lot. Like, okay. one of my first memories, I'm like three years old, I remember, A, being bullied, and B, feeling inadequate. We lived in Japan, and I raced a girl who was older than me for a turtle from this old Japanese guy. Huh. And, and I lost. I was like two and a half, and she was like four. But, you know, you don't... And I just remember thinking how much I sucked. You know, like, I, and it, just as a little kid, like, you suck, right? You're not good at anything from day one. So, um, so anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Dive so, into it, right, man. Let's so do that, it. That, Let's do it. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the whole thing about this, Styles, is that, that you bring up, that you brought out, let me just start with that, is that you brought up is that in every tradition in recovery, is it starts with honesty. Right. So if nothing else, you're letting everybody, uh, folks at home know, it starts with telling your story honestly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and that's, I think, really hard for people. I mean, I know it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because right. I, I wore this face forever of who I was, and I was successful in, in my career and, and competent. Um, I mean, the whole time I felt like I was not that, you know. But part of that is, you know... Uh, Wanting to be really good and always be the best at something. Yep. So, and we've talked about that whole thing when I would swing as a kid on the swing set. And and my mom, you know, we went down that road on a previous podcast where I would go higher than everyone. Another kid shows up and I just stop. Mm -hmm. Because I was worried they'd be better than me. They'd judge me. Or they would do something I couldn't do because I had the big fear of jumping, you know, and like kids would jump at the highest point on the swing and just go launching. Mm-hmm. I always was sure I'd be, you know, in 50 pieces when I hit the ground or I would look, fall and do a full scorpion and scrape my <laughs> face off and look like, you know, like, hey, what happened to you? I fell, I fell off the swing set, you know, so. <laughs> so you never right. even allowed anybody the opportunity to prove you less than. Right. You were going to avoid that situation always. Well, that's got a lot to say about you later in life. But I want to hear it from the beginning. Let's All go. Right. I'm sorry. So born Colorado born. Springs. Okay. The Beatles were the biggest band in the world, which they also, there's a whole stack of Beatles records right behind us. Very important to me. Anyhow, uh, so when I was born, uh, like two days old, I got chicken pox. So I came close to dying. My parents had uh, lost one kid previously and had a miscarriage previously so i think it was pretty stressful for them to think that you know this baby that came out looking pretty healthy might die from this chicken pox that he got it two days old Mm. um so luckily survived it uh wasn't terribly sickly as a kid so we uh my dad let me backtrack so my father uh, was military he was an officer uh, my parents met right uh, a couple years after my mom had graduated high school here in Colorado Springs. Uh, her parents were Greek immigrants. Um, came here uh, early 20th century, maybe late 19th century, mm-hmm. uh, to Colorado Springs. My father's family, uh, long line of military. Like, I'm the first one since the Civil War to not be in the military. So that's crazy. Uh, he, his parents were very uh, wealthy. Um, his grandfather was incredibly wealthy, invented a bunch of stuff, formed a company that became General Electric. 
um, or got bought by General Electric, basically spent his old final years in life in La Jolla, California, living in a posh hotel for 20 years. So, you know, you got to have money to do that. Uh, my dad, uh, very detached. Uh, as soon as he was born, he was sent, well, basically sent to boarding school his whole life, military school, boarding school. So, um, very stiff upper lip kind of people. Like you don't show emotion. You don't show, you know? So, and I took that to heart. Like I remember as a child, my mom would call me a stoic when she would like be mad at me. And I took that as a negative because I had learned this. You don't show any emotion. Like if you're getting spanked or if you're getting dressed down, you just sit there with a, with a stiff upper lip and you take it. So flip side is mom came from a Greek fiery family. Um, she, uh, still alive. She'll be 90 in a few weeks. Uh, very sharp tongued and, um, hot tempered, which is kind of a, uh, Mediterranean thing. Um, and, you know, given to what later transpired in life, <laughs> I mean, she did a really great job of raising me and my brother. We both, you know, ended up alive and moderately successful in the bigger picture of what people consider success. Um, so we moved a lot because my dad was in the army. So I think it uh, probably like eight months old, we moved to Japan. Um, and my little younger brother was born there. Uh, I'd say probably we moved every 18 months growing up, which really made it difficult to have long-term friendships. So, which is something that's plagued me my whole life. Like I cut bait super easy with people. Like I'm done, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I don't really, I mean, Chris and, and my friend Corey and my friend Art from high school are like my longest friends. Like I don't, because I just was, this life we had was you show up somewhere, you make friends, you leave, you never see them again. And this is before the internet and before, you know, you aren't going to call across the country at eight years old to talk to your friend because back then you had to pay like $7 million a minute to do long distance <laughs> right. calls, right? Yeah. That's pretty typical of uh, military families. Yeah, so, so and the, you know, we came back from Japan and immediately my dad went to Korea for 18 months. So I'm like, it was 1968, so I was like four years old probably. Mm -hmm. And he's gone again. So we have this thing where we move all the time, and then dad, when I'm in these formative years, disappears, right? Right. So we, I, you know, a kid can't wrap his brain around that. Um, so I think that made me, later in life, I really had a hard time with relationships as well, because I always thought people were going to abandon me. Um, so that was like, oh my God. Um, so I had this kind of double whammy, like we're leaving a lot. Dad just disappeared. And I was very close to my father. Like when we were kids, my dad like showered everything on me. And I don't know, Kyle, we've discussed this where the way he showed love was to give me stuff. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I still do yep. that. Like you guys know, <laughs> I yep. buy stuff. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to buy this. I buy a bicycle. I buy a car. I buy this. I, you know, so I do these things to kind of show myself love or something. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, so, um, anyhow, 
So we moved a lot. Oh, my God. Georgia, Denver, Illinois. My parents divorced when I was 12. Okay. And it was ugly. My They were fighting quite a bit. As my dad was having an affair with his secretary. Um, and di- he would just disappear. Like, go away for a week, and we'd have no idea where he was. Um, and in an act of massive cowardness, cowardly if that's a word uh, he didn't even ask my mom for divorce he just left a attorney's business card in their bathroom and disappeared so after like 10 days my mom's like well I better call and see what this card is all about and the attorney's like your husband wants a divorce you know hmm. and I'm like well, what a pussy <laughs> you know <laughs> right yeah. right, yeah. right. Um, but all these things kind of like fed into my fear of being abandoned and my fear of having some level of commitment Mm. to anyone. Like all my relationships until my wife, I would build these walls and these girls would be like, why do you have this wall? Can't you let me in? I'm like, no, you're just going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to hurt it's funny because I hurt so many people along the way, but I'd meet nice girls and potential like, yeah, this could be a good girlfriend, but she wasn't good enough in my mm. mind, you know? So I wouldn't even give them a chance or I would date a girl for a while. And I would be like, I would just kind of do what my dad did. Just ghost them, mm. you know? And they'd be like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, eh. You're doing- I couldn't. I couldn't break up with them, right? Yeah. Like because I didn't want to hurt them, but I just, I just would like stop calling, or like oh, yeah. you know, like <laughs> they'd come to the door and I would keep, I would hide, right? So you um, go hide in the dude, bathroom. This, this is my story. So I mean, you know, you were doing what you were taught. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is so I was imprinted. As right. a child, mm-hmm. this right. is kind of what normal behavior is, mm-hmm. right? What you knew. Yeah. So, yep. uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. it was weird, right? Mm-hmm. So I dated a girl from college. We met my senior year, and I think we dated on and off for like eight and a half years. Um, she, uh, she would like l- break up with me, see somebody else, realize the dude wasn't quite so good always take me back right mm-hmm. and I'd be like oh I love you so much I don't care that you were sucking some other guy's dick last night blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I love yeah. you so um, yeah it was prime like 24 to 31 like prime years mm-hmm. of, of your life that I was like in this like tumultuous um, oh my god it was such a just terrible terrible time like you know, I mean, all my friends kept thinking I'd probably kill myself or they'd always say I was the, if I can't have you, nobody else will kind of guy. And they're like, oh my God, if she breaks up with them, she, you know, she's going to, he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those thoughts never, I mean, the suicide, yes, because we've talked about this, you know, I mean, I still have those urges. The past month has been very dark in my head and I don't know if it's because I just want winter to be over and I'm over it 
or I just have generalized anxiety and it seems like that's the easy way. I'm just going to off myself. Then everyone else can deal with my problems, which is just bullshit. Yeah. And I'd never in a million years do it because I've seen how much pain it causes the people around. Right. Um, that's not that. your style. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, not a whole lot of stability growing up. Um, I think my dad probably had a drinking problem. I don't remember that much because he left when I was 12. But I do remember every Friday he'd come home with Case Old Milwaukee. And by Sunday morning, it was gone. Mm-hmm. When he'd mow the lawn, he'd be walking with a beer can in his hand. So I'm guessing uh, drinking, right? right? And my mom would always have her cocktails and would get very, um, you know, not to answer, you knew not to answer the phone after five because you didn't know what you were going to get. Right. right. Yep. Yep. So she she got COVID when it first happened, stopped drinking, which was great. But now she drinks like a glass of wine, a little half a glass of wine every night. And it's totally different than bourbon. But I always think sometimes that like different alcohols make you act differently. Because <laughs> yep. anyone yeah. that's seen me drinking tequila knows it's bad news. Um, <laughs> yeah, not good. So anyhow... Um, Grew up, went to high school. Like I said, got bullied a lot, like a lot. Like I can't even tell you, man, how mean kids were to me. And it sucked because you come, you come to a new town as the new guy, and immediately it's like, all right, you know, like every time we'd move, come to a middle middle of the school year, show up, and then all of a sudden all the tough kids got to show that you. It was like going to prison. I, I think school is like prison. You know? right. A little bit. Yeah, you were <laughs> right down in the middle of Colorado Springs. Right. So right. my first day so. at, at North Junior here in the Springs, a guy who ended up being my friend and unfortunately committed suicide a few years ago, had one arm. And he had this metal arm with a big hook on it. Nice. Yeah. Well, nice in a, one way. And another kid, he, on the, he and this other kid on the playground, and the dude had the best name. His name was Link. And I'm sure he went to prison because he looked like he should go to prison. Although he's probably <laughs> like a college professor or something. <laughs> he could be. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. So that guy got on, on his hands and knees behind me on the playground. And back then, the Norse playground was just rock, gravelly rock. And you know now it's grass, and they actually spent some money on it. Yeah. And then I'm standing there in the playground, didn't know anyone, just looking around. And this kid's running full speed at me with his metal arm stretched out to the side. And he just clotheslines me right in the neck with the metal arm as the other kid is on his hands and knees. Oh, a little, table, oh, great. little tabletop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm on the ground. I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, new kid, don't fuck with us, you know? And yeah. I'm like, fuck, here it goes. Because every time, every time we go to a school, like I remember a kid brought a gun to school one day and held me on the playground with a shoe over my mouth and a gun pressed to my belly. Jeez. <laughs> like when I was like when I was in like fifth grade. And I'm like, what the fuck? What year would this have <laughs> no, been? This was like 75. Holy yeah, crap, great. man. And I'm like, well, God. I'm not going to rat him out because this kid's psycho. Yeah. You know? He's also the kid in, 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 that gave me cocaine in, in fifth grade. And we did, <laughs> we did, we did, we, his, his, the best part is his dad was the chief of police. Yeah. His older brother was a huge coke head. And he was like, let's try this stuff. I stole it. And there was a little vial. I still remember it. A little tiny vial with the lid, with the metal chain, and a pewter spoon that said cocaine. And I'm like, I go, well, what do we do? He's like, you snort it. So we snorted cocaine, and you know, I'm in like fifth grade. Oh, fifth grade. Oh, oh, right? So apparently, you had a, 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 
All the misfits had their eye out for you. Yeah, yeah and I think that, you know, <laughs> as I've gotten older and looked back at that, I think what it is is um, the lowest rung wants to either keep you down or have you join them. Right. Yes. Right? Yes. So as I got older and in high school, I actually got in with the cool kids, mm-hmm. you know, popular kids. And yeah. I also got in kind of with the smart kids because I did so well on all the standardized testing. They put me in AP classes. Right. But it sucked. Like we moved back here after my parents got divorced. Well, after my parents got divorced, we lived with my aunt and uncle for like a year in Denver. My brother and I shared a hide a bed for a year. Okay. Um, which was, it was just like, how many kids? There were five kids and three adults in a four bedroom house. Yeah. So it was very challenging. Um, and I think I kind of slid backwards a little at that school. Um, so I, when I got here, they put me, cause of my test scores, put me in a ton of like advanced placement classes like Shakespeare. Yeah. But I come in mid semester and I'm like, <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm staring at the booger on the end of my finger that I just picked. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, so right. you know, it was kind of uh, it was kind of humbling because I got kicked down a level to the, the next one right below the advanced placement. They were back then. They used to track. It was C track was right below advanced B track, and then A track was for like you know the kids that really did just have boogers on their fingers all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, so that. Uh, um, that was kind of humbling. And at that point is when I kind of discovered the guitar. Okay. As an escape. Okay. Right? And now you'd have been in high school by this time? Uh, I think I bought, got my first guitar at 15. So it's high school. Yeah, that's yeah, high school. Yeah. yeah. So right before we, well, I mean, we were playing in a band this, four years this later. This gets pretty close to about the time that uh, right, uh, you know, a few years after you and I met because already I was, you know, you were saying to Kyle earlier about what your impression was of me when you met me. But when I met you, I thought of you and all those kids from your school. My impression was this kid is linked in with all like the groovy artists and the really hip, cool scene that I didn't get in my high school. Right. Because we were like white bread Americana. No cool. There's no yeah. Elvis in my school. Yeah. There was no Elvis well, in anybody. There weren't that and many there in my school. there was with you. Yeah. There, it, it, I mean, I, I, I'll credit my cousin John for turning me on to punk rock about that time. And those, so, you felt in, in, into then, that crowd. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, I think I told you guys when I... When the, we were in Illinois. I was spending the night at my friend's house, and there was this TV program with a news late night pro- news program, and it was about the English punk rock scene. And it's just like my buddy was like, "They're so weird," and I'm like, "That's me. That's I feel like <laughs> you know." I hear the guys talk and how angry they were, and how you know my parents were. My dad had left at this point, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh, okay, I get it." Mm-hmm. There's there's a whole lot of people out there who are pissed off. And, uh, you know, at 15, you don't really understand that it's all your trauma, like, roiling inside of you and hormones, Mm -hmm. you know. So, um, and then my cousin John, right after we moved back, was like, you should listen to this record. And it was the Sex Pistols. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. So I purposely sought out that kind of stuff, like avant-garde. 
and all that before I met you. So this was like in high school was kind of my thing. Like, and this is a super nerd kind of thing, but I, I'm very introverted and probably my junior or senior year in high school, I was just done. Like everyone at lunch would go up to the cafeteria. We had an open campus. They'd go somewhere. I would just go to the library and kind of hide. I'm like, I can get away from people and I can go read books. And I've got Ken Kesey's electric you know, Kool-Aid acid trip or whatever that book's called. And, you know, I would just like delve into this stuff. You know, I didn't really um, do any drugs in high school or drink until my senior year. Like I was pretty straight and mm-hmm. straight edge. Um, then my senior year in high school, I started drinking, um, but not, you know, like weekend party kind of thing. But even then I remember being at a party and these dudes from some other school, I kind of had longer hair then. And I remember these kids chasing me around with scissors, wanting to cut my hair. Cause if I was punk rock, I shouldn't have, I should have a Mohawk and these like jocks, like, like you see them and they got their letter jackets on and I show up and I'm like, you know, wearing like flannel shirt and Converse All-Stars, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know sudden, the look. <laughs> yeah. And, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, I'm a target again. Yeah. And I remember the, the head of the, the, the star of the football team, like I had a poster in my locker of the band, the jam, which was probably my favorite band. And he came and ripped it down. He's like, what's this faggy shit? You know? And, uh, so that goes, so my school wasn't as cool. It was probably cooler than most. But when I met Chris and all those guys, I mean, Chris had, like, style. But the other guys we played with, they were, like, these provincial, you know, kids. Like, uh, you know, like, they were nice and they were good musicians. But, like, the coolest thing they knew was, like, surf music. Like, you yeah. Know? And uh, so it was good because I found some guys that were like, I'm like, here, listen to this record. This is unbelievable. Listen to this. Read yeah. this. You know, this is cool. Um so it was a good way for me, the music, to express myself. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we had a lot of aspirations and a lot of talent, and things didn't quite work out. Like <laughs> but what happened? What happened? What, what I'm hearing you say here is that about the time that we met, it was like a continuation. Now you were away from the Jockoys; they were going to beat you up for being different. You finally kind of found. All of us in our gang up at UCCS by that time, and we we're all like minds, you know, early college years. And so now you really started expressing yourself. And that expression, I'm here to tell you, Kyle, you got to tell you got to tell us about the year, those years when you started to we're oh, so we're up and going as a band by this time. And I tell you, Alan, I had to step away from you for a good couple of years, dude, because you were you were off the rails. You you were you you played the punk rocker and you played it very well, man. More so than I ever could have or would have or had it within my ability. I mean, it was a train wreck, dude. You you should have seen this guy going into parties. I left because I did not want to be around. It's it, much like what you've described with your story with Alex and mm-hmm. the damage you would do around and with people and the things you'd say, it was just, you lashed, you lashed out of those yeah. years, bro. Yeah. When you were, and it was like everything that was 
from what now it makes sense because from your childhood and all that pent-up aggression and anger and everything else i really saw it come out when you were about 18 to 20 right. years old well it so was, it was pretty yeah, it we was went a tornado. i went from being this nerdy kind of bullied kid to all of a sudden those kids that were bullying us were coming to watch us play and wanting to be my best friend mm-hmm. you know like we were the hot band in town and all these guys were like hey styles hey styles remember me and i'm like yeah you're the one that flipped my desk over and smashed me into the cinder block wall before the teacher showed up in English class. Yeah, I do remember you. Fuck you. You know? <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah. so all of a sudden, <laughs> yep. all this, all we're this coming to your house to party, by the way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, all this anger and um, pent up resentment for being treated so poorly by people just boiled out because all of a sudden I had the upper hand, right? Like, yeah. oh, okay. Now you're sucking my dick. Okay, yeah. Fuck you. And yeah. uh, um, you personified that angst very well. Right. Yeah, I felt. Yeah, it was natural though. I mean, it wasn't like I was acting. No, you like, were not. Acting. That was that was real. That was real rage. I feel like that know? that really goes hand in hand with that punk rock culture. Because right. I grew up in I grew up in a different a different age of punk rock culture, but I still. I grew up with a lot of that teenage angst music, too. That was a way for me to... It was almost like a form of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And, then it's, and then I think that when you have that, like, that personification of... Or that, that whole mentality of the punk rocker, you automatically wear the badge of the middle finger. Right. I think that's just part... It's just part yeah. of it. Yeah. No, it's you're a, absolutely I right. I think it's all... It's sort of a... Um, Rite of passage, I think. Yeah. And for yeah. teenagers in that rebellion stage, and either it's going to come out in peace, love, and flowers in your hair, maybe, in the earlier generations or whatever. But for us, when Sid Vicious, I mean, the, the whole, it was angry. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. we were not going to hide our anger and repress our right. anger. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think there's, you know, so as we, after I left the band and went to college, I started listening you know, punk was kind of like, eh, I'm over it. And things like the Smiths came around, right? And I'd yes. love the Smiths. And I would listen to her and I was like, oh, they're so gloomy. Their mute lyrics are so gloomy. I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? They sing to me, right? Like, yeah. everything he's singing about, I understand. Like, people I, are like, no, it, it's just so depressing. I'm like, no, it's not. I get that. You know, so <laughs> there was, you know, some music always either playing it or listening to it was kind of a... Uh, um, way to escape right yeah it was um i saw it as a way when we formed the band was a way to get out of this town you know which i had we done things differently and wrote our own music earlier and not worried about being whatever we all piled in a van and toured the country with our own music it would have been different because there was a lot of talent but that's the past, right? But to me, at the time, it was like, this is our w- way out of here. You know, we can get out of this place. I, I hate it, you know? And back then, it was just a backwater freaking cowboys and shitheads, you know? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and it just wasn't for me, you know? So um, so I go to college uh, at Boulder for a year. I go up there. The, my mom comes up with me for like the meet meet first day of school, and I have like like this stupid temper tantrum in front of her. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh my god, she must have been so embarrassed. She just left. 
So she left, probably got a hotel room. Who knows what she did in Boulder that night. And then the next day she came back. And What know. was the temper tantrum? Oh, I don't know what it was. Yeah. I would just have these meltdowns over shit. Like, like she probably told me to do something or I should be listening. And I'm like, don't tell me what to fucking do. Mm. You don't know shit. I'm, you, I'm a college yeah, yeah, You no. didn't go to college, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so I don't even know what it was. Yeah. You know? yes. Just one of those moments. Yeah. So, um. And then I, at Boulder, I got in with a definitely different crowd than I had ever been around. So my roommate was Robert Redford's nephew. His girlfriend was Sidney Pollack, the director's daughter. Uh, Robert Redford's kids were there. So there's this Hollywood crowd that I'm hanging around that have money and have grown up probably doing drugs and drinking. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I tried keeping up. And I tried to impress this girl whose whose father I think directed the eighteen oh, um, by drinking a handle of vodka by nice. myself. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So luckily there was this biker dude from New Jersey who lived on the floor below me, found me, passed out with my head in the elevator doors because I lived in these dorms that were ten stories tall. And he walked in to everyone and he's like, What did he do? Because he's about to die. So he took me to the bathroom, made me throw up. And uh, then they threw me in bed, and I didn't move for three days. God. They kept putting a mirror to my nose to see if I was breathing. My mom kept calling because she'd always call on Monday. And like, oh, he's mm-hmm. at class. Well, I wasn't at class. I never went to class. Mm-hmm. I had a .8 GPA when I got done. So, um, yeah, so I just totally threw away this opportunity. Uh, I wasn't prepared uh, for this is before I met you guys. So right, I, this is before. Right. I, this is the year before I was in the band. Um, yeah. So I came from the Colorado Springs, kind of hadn't really partied, hadn't done a whole lot to this like crazy, like crazy scene. Right. So I get kicked out. Well, asked not to return. Um, came back, got in the band, worked shit jobs, construction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm too pretty for this shit, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I, I went to to Fort Collins, uh, graduated in four years. Colorado um, State. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's where I discovered LSD. Um, really seemed to enjoy it. Yep. It's kind of a reset for me. And uh, if I got really stressed, I would just take, you know, take some acid. Everything reset. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, you know, having... Talk to Jill and uh, the psychedelic therapy stuff. I was kind of doing it to myself, like, yeah, this is how I'm going to reset my my clock. But I just hadn't changed. I was still that guy that would, like, people <laughs> would be like, invite my roommates to a party. And I'm like, can you tell Alan he's not invited? And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going, you know? So, like, just bad, like, and so many, like, stupid, like, I'm not going to do war stories because they're stupid. But I guarantee you, every week for four years, yeah, there was there was something, there yeah. was chaos. Yeah, there was it was always chaos. Like I just lo- thrived on it. You know, I thrived on the looks on people's faces when I walk in the room. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I just yes. be like, and I ran it. I went to a concert like a few months back with one of my college roommates, and he was like, he goes, you'd walk in, he goes, you had this like demonic laugh as you would walk into a pe- people's house because you <laughs> knew what was coming on. And uh, it shocked him how different I am now because, you know, he brought his son and he's like, Alan was the craziest dude in college. And his son's like, you're so mellow. 
well. I think that the year that I met you was, was it, it was before you went up to Colorado State. Yeah, yeah, right after. I met you guys right after I got back from Boulder. From Boulder, yeah. And those were the years I remember is, is, uh, you know. Because it seemed all right, right out of the gate, like, hey, this is cool. This guy is, really has a, a lot of knowledge on just a variety of music and everything else. But then that little little demon of, of chaos came out, and that's where I, I ran. And, well, it uh, was easy, right? It, it was, was easy to build this, like, persona. You had a persona, definitely, definitely. kept people away. Because you weren't that all the time, and I do remember that about you. And that was the interesting thing to me. Before you left and went back to Colorado, Colorado State, I was thinking, man, it's, that was the weirdest experience, the weirdest guy I've ever met. He's super cool and super almost gentle. When you get the guy alone, he's super cool and down to earth and very, very intelligent, very artistic. When you got out in public, good God, it was like the Tasmanian devil, dude. And I had to run the other way. Yeah, well, most people did. Those yeah. who had the, If they uh, were smart. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine who I saw years ago, he was like, 10 craziest things I ever saw in college were all things you did. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, what were they? He told me, I said, I don't remember any of those. They don't even make the top 100 list. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, for real? I said, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, and, my And, you know, so... Uh, yes. You know, but it's all. it was all just... A front, right? It was all just a way to protect myself. Yep. Like, yep. Um, yeah. And I then, could see it. I right. could see that. Yeah. And, and it took me until really after I married my wife to start trying to fix all this stuff, right? Like, so Kyle, you and I both gained weight, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I stopped weighing myself at 280. Um, so I would eat, like, and as even as a child, I would eat. Like, my mom would yell at me. I'd just go and eat. Mm-hmm. Even if we'd mm-hmm. eaten, I would sneak because she would, you know, she kind of fat shamed me. Although today we were discussing that. I was talking about anxiety and how you, you and I had had the conversation about uh, shaming about oh, weight yeah. the other day. And I said, I'm kind of doing that myself because mm-hmm. after my back injury, you know, I put on 20 pounds and I look in the mirror, I'm like, you fat fucker. You fat son of a bitch. You know, I don't like, like, oh, you're still 80 pounds less than you were or more at your peak. You know, now I'm that almost 300 pound guy again in the mirror. I don't see the progress I've yeah. made. I see just the negative. And that's, that's crazy. You know, I, think, how that I think it's the brain. I was talking to a lady one day about how beautiful her garden was. And she's like, all I see is weeds. Mm. Right. And I'm kind of that way. Like, I'll wander our garden in the summertime when it's in full bloom, and all I see is weeds. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, what is in our mind, in my mind, and maybe it's human nature to not see the beauty and just see the things that you don't like. Mm-hmm. So that's, and for me, I just see the things I don't like in me. Mm-hmm. And I've done that my whole life. Like, you know, like, where, where I have no value. Like, I'm a worthless turd. So, um, yeah. So it took me, um, you know, I mean, I had, you know, I just did life and kind of just rambled through it and then drank. And then the, my drinking, you know. A lot of drinking. Yeah, so from probably uh, early 20s till my late 
late 30s, I'd go out six nights a week. Probably black out most of those nights. Yep. I remember. Yeah. And, uh, or hearing about them. Yeah. And like we said, we were talking before that Ernest, Ernest Hemingway thing. I was like, well, I drink to make other people interesting, which I did because I really didn't want to go out drinking, but I didn't want to sit at home alone mm-hmm. completely. I kind of like being alone. Um, but I would go out and it was just uncomfortable, uncomfortable to talk to strangers. Yeah. Uncomfortable even to talk to my friends about just bullshit, you know, um, except Chuck, Chuck and I would talk every day and go out to the bar every night and I could sit and just talk to anything about him. He was one of the few people that, and he had a communications degree, so maybe that helped, but I could just talk about anything with him. Not anything. The funny thing is the conversations with him were never anything like really like, fuck, I feel like shit. I'm just a worthless turd. It was just like day-to-day conversation. Right? It was small talk, and he was in the same place in life as you. Yeah, yeah. And I could see that. Right. So, yeah, so I drank a lot for a lot of years. Um, I could quit whenever I wanted, though. Like, I never had, like, if I just, I mean, I could just stop. I'd be like, I'm done. And I was done. And I could go, I mean, I think I went like a year without a beer. I'm like, I don't care. It's not like I need it. But if I went out, I'd be like, I got to have a beer. Mm. And I would never go in a bar alone. Like, I thought, that is with people with problems. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, would, I would go to the bar and just sit in my car until someone else showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I got to the point uh, when I opened my own brewery that I got so poor I didn't even own a car. I would bicycle everywhere. I'd bicycle to work every day, 10 miles. Um, in blizzards, whatever, because I owned a business, failing business. Um, so then I would just get, everyone would take me to the bar. They'd come get me. You want to go out? I'm like, no, I don't have any money. A, I didn't have any money. And B, I didn't have a vehicle, which was probably smart, um, the way I was drinking. But they'd come get me. And then, you know, someone would always buy. Mm-hmm. I'd be, they'd be buying. I'm like, I don't have any money. I'm buying. Okay. You know, so there was always people probably with similar trauma or situations that wanted drinking buddies. Hey, drinking buddies, you know. Um, So that was like 15 years of just drinking. Just drinking. But I was also, I mean, that's when I got into mountain biking, and I was a really good mountain biker for as heavy as I was. I remember seeing a guy years ago, and I see him now all the time. He was like, he goes, man, I'm watching you coming down this rock field. He goes, you get your big fat motherfucker. He goes, and you're just flying down that, like, no one, nobody's business. He's like, I couldn't ride it like that. And I said, yeah, I was good. I was really good at it, even though it was super heavy, you know? Yes. So I would work out, but I, I started riding with a group of guys back then, and one of the guys was like, you're just trying to drink yourself to death. Mm. And I said, well, I've had these suicidal urges since I was a kid. I remember when my parents divorced and we moved into the house that my grandmother had lived in before she passed, and we lived up. It was a upstairs and downstairs. My aunts and aunt and uncles and cousins lived downstairs, and we were upstairs. And in the bedroom that I had, there was when my mom was growing up, because she grew up in the same house, or the house next door that my grandfather built, something like that. There was a kid who 
whose mom was a Zigfield girl, which okay, you yeah, know, but yeah, we know. Sure. So they were like dancers, History. like Rockettes or whatever. The Zigfield Follies. Zigfield Follies. <laughs> so this lady was a Zigfield. They were showgirls. Yeah, showgirl. Her her son hanged himself in the in what was my bedroom. Oh, sure. And I remember being like six, 15 years old, mm-hmm. 14, 15, thinking how lucky that kid was. Mm-hmm. That he, he was over. Wow. It was done. He didn't wow. have to deal with the bullying and, you know, the all the not understanding why dad left and you never hear from him again. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and then I used to just like think about it and I would visualize myself hanging from the same curtain rod. Um, so, yeah, weird, right? Yeah, very um, um, well, it's it's not weird. Yeah, it's not, yeah it's I think not, it's actually a pretty normal for for the type of trauma that you were going through right. and the abandonment and all right. that stuff. Right. I think it's actually pretty normal. Absolutely. Yeah. And you spoke into something, man. That you said uh, you, you touched on a couple of things that were just huge and that and that everybody can can relate to. I mean, but one of them, of course, for most addicts, like Kyle, different than Kyle in my story. Is once we got going drinking or drugs, we couldn't stop right. because mm-hmm. it got a hold of the body. You could, and you kept looking over here across the table like I could stop anytime. And I'm sitting here thinking in my head, "You're full of shit, Alan," because that wasn't the problem. Drinking wasn't your problem. No, drinking wasn't my problem. It, it, drink, <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it was not. It, it was, was a the result of the problem, yeah. and that's yeah. the problem that a lot right. of us addicts have. Right. Is we think that dr- the drugs or the drinking are the problem. They're not the problem. No, absolutely. And I know and that it's not the problem. You, um, you know, you. Were, I mean, I don't know what I would have done at that point in my life had I stopped drinking. <laughs> Mm, right you know? that's even um, scarier dude yeah but maybe i would have had an epiphany that i got some issues that need to be done. oh little dudes in here yeah uh, maybe dogs. i had some uh uh epiphany that i needed help right yes so yes um maybe or maybe that was the band-aid that was keeping you alive i mean yeah, you know like right, it could have right. gone either way realistically yeah. right so yeah so i just wandered through life for a lot of years then i met my wife we got married um, I don't know what she saw in me or why she married me, but I'm gl- grateful she did. But all those behaviors were still there, you know, the the wall, the not letting people in, um, sharp tongue that I inherited, very mm. very mean. I, like I can be painfully mean, like it's bad. Like I say it. And as soon as I say it, I'm like, oh, fuck. Mm, but then the I double, always double down. You know, fuck <laughs> it. The cat's out of the bag. Yep. Freaking let it go. Let, let it go yeah. all the way. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so my wife and I went to a to, uh, therapist, marriage counselor, for about a year. Um, learned how to communicate. Mm-hmm. We, we slip and fall all the time. We look, but, uh, you know. Um, and then I started realizing that I have issues, right? Uh, it was about this time, I think I went to a beer conference in San Francisco, and this guy, Simon Sinek, who wrote uh, um, yes. Leaders Eat Last, was the keynote speaker. Yes. And he does. Um, so I read that book, and I found his talk fascinating. Usually, those brewery, brewery keynote speakers at these big events just suck. Uh, but this guy was great, so I read this book, and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And it just kind of opened up this giant pathway of books on a being a better leader being and then i said well if i want to be a better leader i got to be a better person Mm -hmm. 
So, um, so all at the same time, I started losing the weight because I realized kind of that, you know, I mean, it was holding me back. I was unhappy. I didn't want to live if I was going to be that fat. Um, I wasn't sleeping because, you know, you're snoring. You know, mm-hmm. big, you know, like you look like an elephant seal on the beach. If you've ever <laughs> been to California and seen those fuckers, like, oh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, no. yeah, so I was done. I was done with all of that. And I was like, I'm just going to shift the foundation and try to build something new. So at that point, I started working on my trauma, realizing that I had issues that, you know, and I'm not going to be like, it's my parents' fault because everyone does that, you know. And it's epigenetic, you know, and, you know, everyone's doing the best they can. Um, And shit, I tell you what, as bad of a teenager as I was, like I wasn't drinking, but I had such rage issues. I can't believe my mom didn't choke me out. She's probably should have. <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh, and even as I, now I don't get scared of her cause you know, she's 90 and she's five feet tall, but even in my thirties, <laughs> you know, she would give me the look or say something. And I'd be like, Oh boy. I'm scared. Yes. You know? yes. She put the fear of God in, you oh, know, yeah. you know yeah. which, yep. uh, you know, she had to take the role. And this was in the late seventies and early eighties of both parents. Yeah. And there wasn't really much support, you know, for new divorcees. And she wouldn't have taken it anyhow. I remember, you know, her parents left Greece to flee socialism and her dad was super anti FDR and, you know, just bringing all the stuff that's ruining Greece to the U.S. So, mm-hmm. you know, he were, she was like, I could get food stamps. I could get this, but it's, it's not who I am. She's a badass. Yeah, she well, it sounds is. like yeah. yeah. Totally. She really is amazing. So and all that feistiness and all that angst in you, knowing your mom for all these years, as much as long as I've known you, and I, I've known your mom, and I know where you get it. Yeah, and I know yeah. why you get right. what you got. And yeah, right. But so I'm just trying to chisel off those uh, harsh edges. You know, mm-hmm. I think make it. And you know, I saw I saw in you the tremendous change, Kyle. Right about the time that I sobered up, yeah. So it's almost going on seven. Yeah, going yeah, on seven so years. And I remember I started going through all these transformations on my own, in my own little way, in my apartment, on my own journey. And I'd uh, come running over to Alan's house. Hey, man, you're not going to believe what just happened. It's like what. Mm-hmm. And he would be on his own, yeah. And he'd be like an, an inspiration of another kind, bringing me more knowledge and more books and mm-hmm. more inspirational sources and more. It's like, yeah, you should check this out. And, and what you're describing to me, Crow, is nothing other than stoicism. And you, what you found here is this. And so we were having this instead of you know this kid talk of shared music interest which we've always still had, but he's now turning me on to all this Mm -hmm. just new eye-opening knowledge base, like, wow. So he and I have been on this journey for... Yeah, it was parallel. It is parallel, very. And his was much different because, you know, I grew up, although my mom's a believer, my dad was, and apparently he was too, but we were raised very agnostic like we never went to church you know so for me i always grew up like a, i was a, a militant 
atheists, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's this there's this campus preacher who used to go around. I think he still does. Jeb Schmock. It was great. Hundreds and hundreds of kids would get around. We'd fire and brimstoney, right? Mm-hmm. And they'd all hack, hassle, hassle him. And it was fascinating. And anyone that's seen him will like, like, oh, my God, he's the greatest thing ever. So one day he was done. And he was sitting on the, in, in the campus quad kind of thing at CSU. And I just went and sat down next to him just to have a conversation. And I was, he was like, so what are you? And I said, well, I'm agnostic. Mm-hmm. Because I had kind of changed, you know. I was like, I'm going from being I don't to I don't know. And he goes, well, you know, he goes, you're better off being an atheist. And I said, why is that? He's like, because God hates people that can't make up their mind. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so then I went back to being an atheist, right? Like, right. Well, That's how far we get. Yeah, so, you know, my whole life I was like, there's no God, there's this, there's none of that, you know. So as Chris is, is going through his, I'm going through mine, and I'm having this kind of awakening, and I still don't know. You know, people are like, well, are you Christian? Are you... Mine was very spiritual. Yeah, so yeah. mine was just like seeking, like, you know, I read, you know, Buddhist stuff, I read Hindu stuff, I read Christian stuff. You know, Zoroastrianism, all this stuff. Fascinating, right? So there's like this kind of basic concept, mm-hmm. which I can go with. You know? Yes. I mean, I have a really hard time. Like, we got the Monty Python gods. Oh, no, I don't have him up here. Oh, yeah, he's right up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I have a really hard time wrapping my head around some dude sitting up there, you know, who's pissed off all the time. Like, uh, you know. And you're going yeah. to hell, you know? Right, so, no. Yeah, um, so, I doubt it. <laughs> you know, especially in this town with, um, you know, some of the, the, the Christian groups that are we're known for, you know, it's very, like, judgmental. Like, and, you know, it's like my friend Mike, who's a very Catholic, mm-hmm. Irish, parents moved here from Ireland. He was like, yeah, dude. <laughs> the dogs. Uh, he's like, I see Jesus as, uh, um, he's like, the, he's this hippie dude who wore sandals, talked about love and hung out with whores. He's yeah. like, how can he be judgmental? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I became more and more open to things. I, I'm still seeking, you know, like probably every other book I read will be some kind of spiritual kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. But I think of this South Park one where everyone yeah. that goes to hell is spiritual, but not Christian, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so sometimes people throw that word around and they think you're all new agey or, you know, like, oh, you're a devil worshiper or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know, you know? I mean, but every night I thank God or the universe or whatever. I, you know, we do our gratitudes. I do every night things mm-hmm. I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've been pretty blessed um, right. in my life. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my story. I don't know. You know, well, you, you said something earlier that, that that hits on that piece right there. And that is almost a discipline that in recovery, I found that just as much as we go into recovery and we have to be really honest and open, mm-hmm. that's a new habit. But also, with that, we have to weigh that and balance that with this new thing called giving ourselves credit. Because I wasn't used to that. 
And I was always used to just falling and leaning into shaming. And then I would call that my humility. Well, my humility was really a, a form of my shaming myself mm-hmm. um, uh, undercover. And I had to kind of come to terms with that, too, and then say, no, hey, it is okay. You have, Crow, lost 500 pounds or whatever, and you are getting better. And let's look at the improvement, and let's chalk that up under gratitude. And let's say, man, you know, you're making, great, you're making gains. Right. And I, that was a new discipline for me, too. Yeah. Just as much as being honest and open to myself about what a fuck-up I was. You know, you know what I mean by this thought? Is that we can take it too far one way, and it can also kind of fold in on itself the other way, and then I'm still being ultra-super protective about all these accomplishments, not seeing them, and that's detrimental in and of itself. But then it's still a form of my ego's still too big. And whether I'm protective in, in fear and or the on one end and the victim, or I'm being still an ego maniac in, in disguising that in humility. So it still leaves me in a place of not something that we can work with. That's not a good thing to be because it's unrealistic. And I'm still not taken off from a realistic place. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's still not it's still not realistic. Everybody's still around you going, "No, you've done this, but you, it's not helpful. It's just not a helpful state of existence." That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think the the thing that I'm that I'm really working on and the, and we you know, Alan and I we we talked about this last week. We were talking about that that fine balance between shaming ourselves and acknowledging what we've kind of overcome and I and I and I think that like I even had this issue where right now I'm trying to lose weight for my wedding you know and I've been you know obese believe me I fucking know crow <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here staring at you like you are absolutely nuts believe me though but it, but I got to this place and I've been doing a lot of therapy around this where I thought that I was like I had body dysmorphia. And I thought because I had that same that same thought that you have, you look in the mirror and you see like that fat piece of shit who hasn't accomplished anything. And what I realized is that thought, that's not body dysmorphia, that's shame. <laughs> and right. so it's it's almost to that point where I got to this and my, my therapist was even telling me that I really have that issue of not acknowledging my own my own victories. And I get to the point where my shame comes in and it tells me that I don't deserve the reward. Absolutely. And I think that that's where that, you know, that, you know, I'm not good enough, that fear, that, that eternal lie that I carry around. And that, that's something that like, I'm, I, even this morning, man, as, I, as I'm doing like my morning prayer, my meditation and stuff, my, my kind of my mantra is that I need to give myself a break, not necessarily give myself kudos or anything like that but it's like i i hold such like a high expectation of who i think i'm supposed to be and i have this attachment to this ideal of who i think i should be and if i fall short of that i immediately fall into shame and i keep getting on like i i have such a tough time like getting off the treadmill of like my own bullshit of 
you know, having to having to go run five, six miles at the gym so that, you know, so that I can eat a little bit more, having to be perfect on my diet, having to make sure that I'm trying to be as vulnerable and communicate as effectively as I can within my relationships and, you know, having to show up and do the podcast and having to, you know, make sure that I get A's on all my, my assignments at school and do all, it's like all this, this bullshit that I create in my head about who I think I'm supposed to be. Even talking about it just makes me anxious because I don't give myself a break. And by not giving myself a break, I'm not acknowledging any of the other like accomplishments that I've had. And I've had to like the last, like last like week I've started at night along with like my gratitudes is I've had to start making a list of all of like the smaller accomplishments that I've made throughout the day, like big or small, because it's, it's, I have to like change that, that perspective from like, you know, you were talking about like going out of the garden, only seeing weeds. I only fucking see weeds too, you know? And, and I think that like, because my perception has been kind of drilled into that to only see the weeds. And so I'm, I'm trying to like build up the habit of like trying to see the beauty in my life and the small right. accomplishments and all it, but it's hard, man. Well, and that's one thing I'll give my wife. Cause I'll just be like, I haven't done shit. You know, since I stopped working last summer, I'm like, I just fuck around. But then she's like, look at all the stuff you've done. Look at mm-hmm. all these projects you finished and look at, you know, like yesterday, I spent the day working on stuff for the bus, and it came out great. It took me all day. But, you know, in my mind, I've done nothing, right? So it's kind of tough um, to, yeah, I think it's hard to cut myself slack. Like, you know, um, like I'm always going, like, girlfriend, previous girlfriend's like, you're the energizer, buddy. You never take time to just... Yeah, get off the treadmill. And that's what Phoebe, Phoebe's my wife's uh, mother, says, let your blood recirculate, and you just go and lay down for a while. But man, like, when I met my wife, I had never taken a nap in my life since I was a kid. Like, I'll sleep when I die. And then, you know, now I'm like, I'll go take a nap. (laughs) And then, you know, so luckily, you know, she's the yin to my yang, and, you know, she's like, hey, you need to slow down and give yourself credit. You know, but it's tough. You know, I mean, my vision of what I should be able to accomplish and what I have are very, that chasm is giant. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, I'm getting older, so I'm like, oh my God, I got so much to do between now and then. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so it's hard to just like, do but, nothing like it, for yeah. me like doing nothing is just like okay yeah i'm getting better about it it's still really hard to be like i'm not gonna do shit mm-hmm. like i just feel guilt all the time like this watching is... tv like if i put on tv I'm like oh i'm just gonna lay and i it, at least when i am watching something like we don't like just turn on mindless crap we like curate which i hate that word what we're watching but I get on the floor and I stretch and I do mm-hmm. my back stretches and I do my, you know, trying to keep my stuff in check. So, but I can't just like sit and watch a movie. I can't remember the last time I could just sit and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's whole, challenging. The whole mm-hmm. time I'm like, man, there's way more important things for me to do yep. than sit here and do nothing. Yeah, so, it's super challenging. But, but honestly, says who? It says me. 
Right. right. And I know, but oh, that's, right. that's the point. Here's the whole thing. <laughs> what, 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 what the situation screams for is that sort of view from above, that third person. Who is the I that's having these thoughts? Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, let me ask you these questions that you guys are describing. Do you pick on anybody else that way? No. <laughs> do you, well, do you yeah, care? Yeah, I do, actually, I do. I do. If I'm going to be honest, yes, do, I do. Yeah. Do you really <laughs> drill down and are that critical of anyone else in the oh, world this I, way? I would say I, I get on my wife that way because she needs I, television uh, to decompress. Like, well, no, it's, not just that. But I get but her. I'm like, every you only single... got so much time in this world. You're gonna, you're not gonna be on your deathbed thinking. Wow, if I'd only seen that last episode of <laughs> Yellowstone, you know? Yeah. Like, so I do, and, and, and it, it does cause some tension in our relationship because I do, I get very judgmental about that, and I shouldn't, how- or I get judgmental that you don't read enough. Like, I try to read a book a week, and, or every two weeks, 26 books a year. Mm-hmm. You need to do this because it's good for you. Well, it's not for everyone, but, you know... So I, I I am guilty of it. Like yeah, I, I and do I it. do get guilty of like you know like you know like this guy that I used to hang out with a brewer. He would call me every day, and just bitch about his life. Never once. And Phoebe's like, "Why do you even talk to this guy?" Because never once is like, "Hey, how's it going? How you doing?" He'd be like, "Oh God, you wouldn't believe the day I'm having between my wife and the owning the brewery and this and that every day." So when I had my back surgery two years ago, about this time, I'm laying on the couch. I had just gotten back from the hospital. Phone rings. It's him. Pick it up. And he's like, "Ah, you wouldn't believe the day I've had. My fucking life is so hard. And I'm like, it's like 20 minutes of this guy just bitching about his life. I go, oh, my surgery went well. I'm recovering. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's just so, selfish. And then everything he'd need, he would just call me like, "Hey, how do you do this? How does this?" And he was outsourcing like his whole life using Google. Like, yeah, I'm like, right. And I'm like, so, I was like, well, outsourcing his life. Right. I was yeah. like, why are you calling me? You can look it up. He goes, because you'll find the answer faster than me. And I said, well, I've got a life. You know, yeah. like, yeah, you get to a point where yeah. you're like. Uh, I'm a little overwhelmed and like no one's like, Hey, how are you doing? It's like that whole thing. That one lady, I think I told you guys about like when you ask someone, how are you doing? Everyone's like, fine. No, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. You know, that's yes. when it like, well, yeah. fuck, honestly, mm-hmm. I got so much shit on my shoulders that I feel like I'm about to collapse mm-hmm. and people keep throwing shit on me, you mm-hmm. know? outsourcing their problems to me because they think I got my shit together yeah. or whatever. So or, it's, it, you know, it mm-hmm. almost seems like we, we fall into this state of, of a disguised familiarity of victimhood. I don't know how I'm, how I'm trying to think that one through guys, but it's almost like we do. We, we not long for that state of victimhood, but it is a fam- Anywhere we can dance from slightly around it, it's familiar enough to. Yeah. Um, I, I'm. I'm. And when I'm in that state, then I can throw up my hands because I don't have to either either feel it, deal with it, 
uh, or just do what everybody says, and I know I have to do, which I don't want to do. Don't tell me to just sit with my feelings and just simply recognize them. No, I want more for a second, so fuck you. I really want to sit in a state of victimhood and be the pity. And I want to be and embrace and embody um, the shitty day I've had, you know? Right. Peanut. All right, so listeners, we're having a fence put up. (laughs) So the dogs are not allowed outside. And they can see out the window... (laughs) <laughs> where people are moving by, and they're go- and one of the fence dudes brought his dog, who's pacing around the backyard. So they're they're not happy. We apologize. <laughs> not we happy dog yard Such is life, um, man. Um, That's all right. But yeah, Alan, so yeah, this is this story uh, makes sense to me. Your story makes sense in a big way because you filled in a lot of pieces for me about where all that angst in those years came from. That. I knew you from like eight. We we still haven't figured it out. You were eighteen and I was nineteen yep. or nineteen yeah. seventeen, something like no, that. No, I was eight. I just probably yeah, yeah. I was eighteen. You were fresh out of high school, man. It was still that fresh bullied kid just trying to find himself. But you were a whirlwind of that angst, and now that really does explain that. It comes from all that trauma and that big piece, too, that you spoke into, which is really prevalent, especially in a military town like Colorado Springs, Colorado, Mm -hmm. where you have all these military installations. There's a lot of us folks that have been moving all of our lives, and so, you know, as children Mm -hmm. or parents that were separated and we think, well, that's just everybody goes through that. You know, well, hey, man, it leaves Mark, and we need to address those things. Right, and they right. really need to be addressed. And and if there's not addiction, let's say, at the other end of that, for us grown-ups, we still have to confront the fact that it's going to manifest in one way of trauma or another because there's some abandonment things that maybe folks don't really realize, but... It affects a kid because there's kind of no explaining to a seven or eight, you know, year old girl or boy that, hey, mom or dad is going to go to Iraq for, you know, yeah. the like inevitable three, future. Three year old, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, and a all seven of a sudden they're probably process it a little better. I'm not, but I'm not. But de- I, either way, man, there's layers that are being built up around sort of the the kids' understanding of that, and um, without you know, good supervision and people to walk those kids through that experience, either way, man, there's going to be trauma and there's going to be abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what you just described today is the the essence of that. And it's what I had with dad that jumped around, you know, Thailand and was gone. And then to military, the same kind of principle, but I got a lot of that abandonment out of that. But thanks for... Thanks for filling in those pieces yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the the thing that was interesting to me is listening to like the natural progression of your story. It doesn't sound like it sounds like you had by the end of like your breaking point. Like there like for me, I had like that huge moment where I was like, shit, I'm going to do this or I'm going to die. Right. And I had that huge like you know, uh, epiphany. It sounds like you had 
you had this huge buildup of just trauma after trauma after bullying after abandonment after blah 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 until you just kind of pushed back a little bit you know like like for me like it's 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 interesting to listen to someone's story that's different than mine I guess is is the way that I can say it is because my because I feel like I had so many of those like huge like colossal like the world is burning around me moments and it sounds like you had a lot of those too but you dealt with them a lot differently than I did and so you kind of got to that point where you kind of were forced to take an honest look at yourself right yeah no that's absolutely true you know and it took me I mean you were much younger when you got to the point where you wanted to be healed start healing Mm -hmm. you know and you made a good point of we're all, every human, every kid is mm-hmm. going to want to, if they don't understand it, fight back. Oh, push, and you fought. Push, push yeah. back. <laughs> and you fought back. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be an age, yeah. I mean, whether you suppress it and you try to play the good little kid mm-hmm. uh, for as long as you can, but there's going to be an age. And whether it's 30 years old and you're married by this time, it's going to surface and that's part of that shadow self coming out and it's going to be, it's going to be endowed with, I'm going to fight back if I haven't already gotten that worked out of my system. Right. Of course. And hopefully we work that through when we're young. Well, I mean, it took me forever, but I was tired of fighting and I was tired of feeling Mm -hmm. that way. And I was tired of being angry and I was just tired. Sick and mm-hmm. tired, tired of, being, of being sick and tired. Yeah, tired yeah that's being, exactly what it yeah, is. I was tired of being fat, and I was tired of, you know, you know, f- cursing the wind or whatever it was that's coming at me. And I said, fuck it. Turn around and flow with it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I did it on my terms. It wasn't like I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to fit in. I'm going to fit into these square holes that people want me to be in and be this person that, you know, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I remember the the band. This is this is telling me you, you saying how I was a, kind of one of the strangest guys you'd met. Yeah, I remember like to say the least being the most normal. Like I was in this band in college. It was a cool, kind of psychedelic band. Um, but the guys in the band all had just looked crazy, all in black with crazy hair and all that. We'd do shows. I'd be in a Ralph Lauren Oxford shirt with jeans nice shoes and everyone's like you're the weirdest fucking dude in this band but you come across like if someone saw you like oh just a normal kind of preppy looking dude yeah but then you know then they'd have a conversation with me or see whatever and they're like holy fuck this dude's kind of different (laughs) you know and i always thought i was totally normal like which which lended itself to the to the picture of all of us kids at that time in that band Mm -hmm. we all dressed totally different yet it's like that's the picture of reality right there. We're all coming from different walks of life. So, it, right. you know, yeah. we're not going to dress in the same sort of outfits like uh, the Beatles suits or something yeah. weird. Yeah. No, we're all just coming from different places. Right, right. But, you know, you, you said something, you nailed something there really good when you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that is a good message for all of us in recovery is and I try to emphasize this all the time is what gets us out of that state of victimhood is only one thing and that's taking responsibility mm. because once we take radical ownership 
we're now realized our backs against the wall and the only thing that's going to get us out of that that mess is claiming responsibility capital r and then once we do that it's the metaphoric shit pile again we're climbing to the top of your own shit pile and the view's better right. and it doesn't well, stink yeah. as bad mm-hmm. and you get to from there that vantage point you got to redraw your boundaries as right. you had said right. i'm not going to do what everybody wants me to i'm going to do it my way right cuz you claimed well, it but i had done it my way forever and it wasn't working right so i'm still doing it what i think is my way but it's more conducive to having a moderately peaceful and serene life and brain mm-hmm. rather than fuck, 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 fuck this, fuck that, you know. Based um, on rebellion. Right. And just, you know, angst, like just being pissed all the time, you know. It just wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool when you're a kid, apparently. You know, but then I meet these like I meet I like these it. kids now that are like super well adjusted, mm-hmm. which aren't many. But when you meet them, you're like, "Holy shit, this kid's got it together!" Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I'm like, "Are they just compliant? Are they just? Are I mean, have they lived their life? Like, I always looked at people and like, you're out of control. And I said, "Hey, man, you know, there's gonna be a day when you look back and you'd be like, Styles was in the scrum, mm-hmm. I was in the stands." Who mm-hmm. cares? There's 90,000 people in the stands. There's 30 dudes on the field. Yeah. I want to be the dude on the field. Oh, it's the, it's the man right? in the arena, man. Yeah, the man, the man in the arena. I mean, I, I feel bad that I hurt a lot of people. So if I hurt you, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's probably a few of you that I'm not sorry that you probably deserved it. Uh, Maybe you deserve even more, but karma come around and smack you on the ass. It smacked me on the ass plenty of times. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So you know, I look back and I'm like, "Fuck that! That was crazy." Mm-hmm. And the story is crazy. And when I meet like people, I start talking like, "You should make a movie." <laughs> you know, I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be really interesting and it'd be fun." But I'd never watch it. I'd be like, oh, my God. They it already was, have. It's yeah, called it was, Jackass. Yeah, that's well, how I was yeah, literally just no, thinking that. I always thought it was like uh, if David Lynch had directed a cross between Blue Velvet and Satyricon or something. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yes. Just this, like, Roman hedonism. Right. And just, like, wanton violence and chaos, you know? So, yep. um uh, there were jackass moments, though. Like, I did a lot. Of oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was. And, I remember and, throwing, we were having a know. big barbecue, and this is a war story, but whatever. This was funny as fuck. <laughs> so we had this grill, like a Weber grill out in the front yard going. And I threw a can of WD-40 on the coals and put the lid on and just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and that fucker blew, man. And there's, like, people standing around. I'm like, I could have killed somebody oh or my at least God. hurt somebody. But yeah. that shit was funny as fuck. Like, all of a sudden, this explosion happens. The lid flew, like, 40 feet in the air. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the porch of this old Victorian house we lived in. I'm like, that was great. <laughs> oh, know, so just stupid shit. So, but I look back at it, and I'm like, that was funny. Yeah. And thank God no one got killed, let alone me. I mean, there, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know how many times that I probably should have died from drinking, from real binging. Yeah. Like, yep. uh, and it was, uh, you know, or killed somebody, you know, knock on wood. Lord, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think 
I think this gives a lot of context to the listeners. I mean, just I mean, like like I had said a few weeks ago when I when I had shared my story, I think that I really wanted the listeners to understand who we are because I I, I get when you're going in and you're listening to a new podcast, you're like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, why do you know? Why would I have any need to want to listen to their story or to you know to listen to their advice or anything and. Yeah, I really wanted, I think it's important for the listeners to know that we've been through the shit ourselves, and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about on this podcast is experiential stuff. I mean, we this is like, you know, we've been through hell and back, and this is, this is really like the way that we're living our lives um, through our own spiritual practices and you know, our own personal growth programs and stuff like that. It's, this is, this is really how the three of us live our lives. And, you know, I think now the listeners know who the hell we are, you know, for better or worse. (laughs) And to that too, real quick, Mm -hmm. that if there's any listeners that are out there struggling, your story needs to be heard and you need to hear other story stories of their struggles because that's how we connect and the opposite of addiction is connection and we got to hear each other's stories because it's through the metaphor of somebody else's story you won't understand the details of their life but you'll get yourself in their story and that's the that's the healing component of it is just the connection hey i'm not the only one that's been there and there's hope for me too. So get out there and get connected, man. Absolutely. Don't isolate. All right. Absolutely. So yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks we, again. We Alan. got. We got. do we we our got three things yeah, to do. Yeah, so yeah. I'll start since I went first. Yeah. So, yeah go for it. Uh, go for it. You're grateful for. My first thing is I'm grateful we are done with this because uh, my neck right now is so stiff from like <laughs> the tension I've been carrying, thinking about this. And, and, you know. um, so uh, what else am I thankful for? I'm thankful for how nice the weather's been because mm-hmm. it's been beautiful. Um, like spring is right around the corner, so I got to start planting my garden and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm thankful for you guys for being here today. I know that's a cop out, but uh, you know, kind of adding to my story, keeping it rolling if if I was getting derailed and and uh yeah. So, and I'm grateful to well, this is for. I'm just happy to be alive, you know. Sometimes it gets so dark in my head that I don't I don't feel that usually after podcast day, I got this kind of like dopamine thing that lasts for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh I'm going to try to keep it going instead of getting into the little dark slump that I get into after a few days afterwards. So, mm-hmm. But with the sun out, life is good. Yeah, for good. sure. Thanks Thank so you. much, man. Go for it, Crow. Right on. I'm going to have to tag on to that, too, Stiley, because what we do is, man, I get I get a little dopamine rush, too. I always kind of come into it just like I used to come into the feeling of going into a meeting or something in early recovery and I was like oh crap I don't want to get off my couch and go but once I leave the meeting just like once I leave hanging out with you guys and talking with y'all I have a little rush and I'm kind of buzzing for a little while later and I think it's just as humans what we what happens to us 
physiologically. So I, I'm appreciative of that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my car. God dang it. Even amidst all my car problems right now, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the fact I have one because, you know, I work mm-hmm. uh, up uh, quite a few miles up the highway. And uh, it's really nice to have your own vehicle. And when they're working, man, God bless it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to have such a, you know, a nice car. Um and to get around, and uh, I'm just grateful for for friends that I've surrounded myself with in every aspect. I look at every aspect of my life. When I'm not working, got you know you guys around. I got communities all around me, different aspects, and you don't know each other all the time, from work to here to home to that. But man, I've surrounded myself with some solid, yeah. well, and that's solid so, communities. And in a conversation I had with my mom this morning, when I stopped by to check on her, I told her how I was in this like kind of dark funk, and she's like, "Well, you had this group, you had these guys you worked with that you loved every day. You'd spend forty hours plus a week with them, and now you're like home in the house, just wandering around. You know, like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. you know, like I'm surprised I'm not just wearing slippers and a robe all day long. You know, like <laughs> mumbling to myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, Hefner, you got to start collecting in our recovery. We got to collect communities, man. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole tribe thing. Tribe, you know, tribe, right? up. tribe. There up. aren't a whole lot of guys our age that don't work, so I can't be like, hey, dude. So I got to either go find a bunch of like 75 year old guys that want to like go eat, you know eggs in the morning and yep talk and about our aches and pains <laughs> you yeah. bet or uh you yeah. know yeah so right on go. sorry to kyle, <laughs> are kyle you what are you grateful for there. um honestly man i'm grateful that you let me drive your car yeah. <laughs> oh that was bomb <laughs> that was that was a special moment for me yeah yeah that's it's a nice she, little whip. yeah she's a she's a beaut um i'm grateful i'm going out to seattle this week and I'm very grateful to do that. Um, I need to get the hell out of Colorado for a little bit and go spend some time in nature, which I haven't been able to do because we've had a shit ton of snow out here. Yeah, yeah. So I get to go. um, It's still going to be cold out there, but everything, it's an evergreen state. So I'm going to go walk in the woods for a little bit and eat some crappy food. And that'll be awesome. Good for you. And um, I'm also grateful. This is kind of tied into the other one. I'm just kind of grateful that... I kind of get a break from the grind that is my life lately. Um, yeah, I've been kind of been kind of in a darker place the last couple of weeks in therapy, dealing with dealing with shame and the way the various ways that I shame myself and think that I'm not good enough, and that has brought out a whole can of worms that has not been fun to deal with over these last couple of weeks. I've been literally losing sleep over it. Um, and so hopefully this next week, um, I completed a lot of therapy and stuff over the last couple of weeks and they're kind of settling in. I've been processing and hopefully by the end of the week, I'll be a little bit more solid in my foundation and I will have understood my shame, hopefully, by the end of this week um, through my processing. And, um, yeah, just get a fucking break from the crazy workouts and the crazy diets and the 
crazy life of Kyle this week, and I'm super grateful for that because right I, I, I need yeah. a break. Yeah. Oh, no. Therapy's yeah. working. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> it sucks, though. For anyone who's listening, yeah. yeah. For anyone who's yeah. listening, go to therapy, but also know it's hard. <laughs> Yeah. It is, it is, but it is worth it. It it's is worth incredibly it. worth it, but it's um, it's not all sunshines and daisies all the time. No. That's for sure, because it, it brings up some stuff that sometimes we're not really to, ready to look at. But look at how good you're get, getting at that. Oh, yeah. You're getting good at confronting all that. Oh, I've become, I have become fearless, man. We're talking about the man in the arena, man. The man in the arena. There's a thousand cheap seats out there, man. I'm the man in the arena. I got it. I'm just looking for the next one. Well, guys, thank you, man. This has been fun. This is a good one. And um, so we're going to, we're going to try to get some, some more guests in here coming up. Um, Have some more deep analytical conversations about stuff we don't really understand and people can teach us and excellent hopefully uh you know alan and i were also talking about doing some psychoeducational stuff moving forward um and yeah but thank you guys for listening and come back for the next episode all right thanks everybody thanks everybody all right who's got the bowl kyle pass me the bowl